to me, a CFO function isn't a necessarily a finance. It is a finance function, but that's not the primary focus. You're a business. You're a business leader. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision? We will always have enough cash yeah. around. Strictly business. Hiya, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, content manager at CFO Connect, and I get to talk to talented finance leaders who are helping modern companies grow and scale effectively. Today, I spoke with Mike Libby, VP Finance at Striver. Striver uses virtual reality to create real-world trainings for companies and sports teams. In other words, employees can simulate high-pressure situations over and over again in total safety with virtual reality. Striver raised a $30 million Series B round in March 2020 for a total of $51 million since 2016. We talked about the similarities between working for professional sports teams and startups, what makes fundraising so exciting, and why Mike believes the best CFOs aren't focused on finance at all. As always, this show is brought to you by CFO Connect, the global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Mike Libby from Striver, welcome to CFO Year. Thanks for having me. No, we're really excited. And I think the, the best place to start is just with a proper introduction. Um, so maybe if you could tell us a bit about your background, what brought you to finance and uh, sort of your career so far. Yeah. Yeah, my name is Mike. I am currently the vice president of finance at Striver. Um, we can get into more of who Striver is, I think, later in the podcast. Um, I have do not have a traditional finance background. I didn't study finance. Um, I didn't go through the consulting world. I studied psychology in college, uh, got into the world of sports and developed some analytical skills that were transferable to, to finance, which has uh, really led me to to my role today. Wow, fantastic. Okay, so if you didn't study finance, what did you study? I studied psychology, which is very applicable to uh, being a finance leader at, at any company. <laughs> I sort of feel like that almost no matter which job, job description we're talking about, that, you know, that psychology background, you talk to marketers, psychology background is perfect. Sales, psychology is perfect. Um, no question. Oh, that's great. No hopefully question. we'll, yeah, yeah, no, hopefully we'll go more into that. Um, let's start with uh, then what is Striver? Yeah. Striver is an immersive uh, learning company. I'll, I'll talk about what that, what that means. So, Immersive learning is utilizes technology like virtual reality or augmented reality as a means for uh, teaching people how to do a do something. Um, all the science and uh, scientists and uh, research shows that learning in an immersive environment is about as about equal to doing something in real life. And there's no better way to learn something than doing it in real life. So uh, immersive learning is effectively doing that for any type of job. The easiest way to think about it is flight simulator. Air, uh, um, pilots go through flight simulators uh, to train for their job. So we're taking that application and applying it to any, any job as the technology has become much cheaper and scalable um, and it's not a million dollar machine like a, a real flight simulator. And we're going to talk sports in just a moment. But um, aside from sports and aside from flight simulators, what are kind of some examples um, so that people can really picture who are the who are the key users or some examples of key users? I could rattle on key users for days. Um, it is it it some. I'll give some examples. So uh, somebody who wants to inspect an engine. So how do you inspect an engine to make sure that all the pieces fit together the right way and pass the, the test needed to, to put, that, put that engine into, into use? It can be on the other end of the spectrum. It could be 
some soft skills. So training how to give somebody feedback, right? There's lots of manager training around how to have a difficult conversation. So there's a soft skills element of training in an immersive environment that all the research has shown is really effective and, and really impactful. Um, and then somewhere in the middle is, you know, training a, uh, an, an hourly worker how to properly, uh, properly stock a shelf for maximum airflow, for maximum, uh, maximum sales. Uh, so anything that teaches somebody a skill uh, at a workplace. Because that one, that, that to me is quite, uh, the, the example of stocking shelves kind of falls in line with me to the example of a pilot or to a quarterback, which we're going to talk about in a second, where it is sort of a re- repetitive skill that you can practice sort of against uh, a robot, against the wall. But that the, you gave the example as well of, of feedback. So in that example, if I'm wearing, because it's a VR headset. Yep. That's right. Yep. I'm wearing the headset and am I, I'm talking to either I'm a manager and I'm talking to my direct reports and I'm practicing actually giving feedback and in the headset, the virtual reality, the person in virtual reality is responding and giving me different challenges. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I can give an, I can give an example. So you have uh, an employee come in and, tell you that they are going through something difficult difficult at home and you have to kind of talk them through talk them talk them through that um it's not a it's not a pleasant conversation and um the so i've gone through it it's actually really really Mm -hmm. helpful because what we do is we record how you respond to the person and then you go watch yourself you go watch yourself give that feedback so you learn from watching mm. yourself and then you can talk through some sort of a uh, trainer that you're working with on like what worked well what didn't work well so it's the re- the repetition or it's the repetition right. of doing something that was really the impactful uh, piece of the training and are these trainings created bespoke or am i if i'm a company am i buying it out of the box and i'm using the the striver um soft skills package one mm. or are you creating me Patrick's Striver package yep. uh, from scratch. We do both. We do both. We have uh, tr- developed a lot of bespoke uh, trainings, but now our library has grown and we have a lot of off the shelf, uh, more traditional trainings that can be applicable to, to anybody. It's such a fascinating uh, concept. And you could just picture exactly as you said, you can picture as soon as you picture one use case for it, you picture a million right. or, or thousands and thousands at least. How was it developed? Great question. So our founder and CEO was uh, at Stanford University studying in the Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab under one of the godfathers of virtual reality. Uh, And his graduate thesis was to utilize virtual reality training on the quarterbacks for the Stanford football team. So they did that, this was in 2014. So they uh, piloted it with the Stanford program in 2014. And it was such a resounding success that the head coach of Stanford wrote them a check and said, this is too, too good for just Stanford. This needs to be released out into the world, beyond the sports world, into humanity to help people better perform at their jobs go start a company and off, off they went. The sports was the foundation of the company. There was no question. There was uh, an appetite in the sports world, specifically within American football, that was a perfect use case to really allow the company to do a lot of R&D, right? So the first year or so mm-hmm. of the company was, I mean, I, I laugh at what we had to do at the time to to blend the hardware, the software, the content, the training, working through the kinks, working through the challenges. That was really a lot of R&D. Um, but those those uh, teams have and got a ton of value out of it and continue to, to do so today. Well, speaking of sports, um, I couldn't help but notice that you were with the San Francisco 49ers. Yep. Um, for for nine years, is that right? Yeah, about nine years. Yeah. If LinkedIn can be believed, it, it said nine yeah. years. Um, 
<laughs> uh, maybe uh, just tell us a bit about your time there as well. Uh, well I mean, that was a highlight of my high, highlight of my twenties uh, and a dream job that I got coming out of out of grad school. So my my role was uh, effectively managing the team's salary cap. So we have a budget for. Uh, a budget to spend on players and there's rules and regulations, not a lot unlike finance and accounting in for any company that we had to follow. And my job was to structure the contracts, to negotiate the contracts, to make sure that we're allocating resources on the team uh, effectively. Uh, people, the easy way to think about it is the, the movie Moneyball and there's a book Moneyball uh, and Jerry Maguire is a kind of a blend of what my role was in terms of player contracts, statistical analysis, evaluation to make sure that the roster of players that you're building is going to maximize your chances of of winning on the field. And would they normally hire a classically trained finance person to do that role? It's a good question. No, you know, the, the people that were in and the people to this day that continue to be in those roles come from all different types of backgrounds. You can have a legal background, you can have a finance background, you can have a consulting background. Uh, the, the group that hired me had the consulting background. So they were just looking for, you know, people that were able to dig into details and do evaluation and crunch numbers, because a lot of it is just thinking outside the box and be able to being able to solve problems. Uh, that maybe haven't been solved before. Uh, we were on the cutting edge a little bit of the statistical analysis in the NFL specifically. There was no money ball or saber metrics back in the back in the early 2000s in the NFL. It was much more of a baseball thing, and we started to launch the kind of the statistical analysis that is now much more widespread in the NFL. Um, so it was a kind of the early days in the wild wild west of how can you how can prior performance of players, whether it's in college or in the NFL predict future success. So tons of analytical abilities and really my, the foundation that I've, I've used in my, my entire career. And forgive me if you uh, answered this already, but was that more or less in a roundabout way, your entry into finance? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. And then you went from there directly to Striver. I did. Yeah. So the transition to transition happened, I think, first of all, I had I had been there for for ten years and I was looking for a new cha- I was looking for a new challenge. Uh, the there's a there's only 31, 30, 31 other NFL teams and I uh, just wanted some other experience and to be able to broaden my broaden my uh, skill set as I w- will always want to broaden my skill set and learn new things. And Striver at the time was in its very early days of of the sports product. And Striver came to pitch at the 49ers. And so I was part of the meeting that uh, the founder and CEO, the, 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 same, the same founder and CEO that's there today, came and pitched to, the, to, to us, the, the, the product. And I met them there and we hit it off and developed a relationship. And that led to me joining the company uh, shortly thereafter. And have you brought specific um, either aspects of your work ethic that you developed at the, the 49ers or, or maybe just in sports in general um, across to your life now as the VP finance? Yeah. You know, I, I grew up playing sports. I've always been a competitive uh, individual. I played small college football, you know, that's not, there's no scholarships. There's no, no, your games aren't on TV. You're just doing it for the love of the game. Uh, and the competitive juices that it, that get going. So there's no question that you know you took I took that and applied it at the 49ers because you're tr- always trying to get that competitive edge. It'll allow you to win the game that will get you to the playoffs that could get you to a Super Bowl. And that is just part of my core. Um, and so to, I'm just driven to do a good job and have a lot of take a lot of pride in and doing a good job and working hard. So it's just what, it's just who I am and what I'm used to. And it's habits that I've, that I've developed from an early age. Um, And, you know, it goes back to my, my parents had a good work ethic. The people around me had a good work ethic. I saw the value of, 
of uh, being uh, being humble, working hard, following through on your commitments. That's just part of my core that I don't think I'll I'll ever I'll ever leave. And uh, there's no question there's a work ethic in the sports industry that's that's unique. You know, you you have to do a lot. You're you're asked to do a lot. I played a lot of different played a lot of different roles. You took on multiple different jobs. Just like it happens when, you know, we can get into it later, when you go to, to raise a round of equity financing, you raise a round of equity fa- financing, but you still have your day job and run in a finance organization. So you, you take on additional things uh, just because you know it's the right thing to do and, um, and uh, you take pride in that. We certainly are going to talk about um, fundraising. First, though, I'm interested in your role at Striver because when we first connected, um, or again, to refer back to your LinkedIn page, uh, the technical, the job description you have there is strategic finance and operations leader. And you suggested we talk more in the context of VP finance, which makes a lot of sense. But I'm interested in the difference uh, or, or how you see outside of your VP finance role, what the rest of your role is and how you see that. Sure. So the one thing about startups is your role can change quite quickly depending on how the business evolves and the business is constantly evolving. So today my umbrella is finance organization, legal, um, and operations. So operations at Striver is a couple different things. It's number one, like all the internal systems tools we use to bring all the teams together and operate um, as a, as one unit. And it, because we, there's a hardware element of our business with the virtual reality, augmented reality headsets and all the pieces that, that go together, there's an warehousing, logistics, supply chain, inventory management element that that is also under my umbrella. Um, so that's the operations piece of, of what I do. Are your finance processes stuck in the Stone Age? Huge delays, long email trails, and everything written on paper? In 2020? It's time to evolve. Spendesk gives you automated expense management and smart company cards, ready to use on day one. Every team member can spend safely, even while remote. And finance teams save on average two plus days per month on tedious admin. There's no lengthy setup and no training required. Just expense processes that belong in this day and age. Don't be a dinosaur. Use Spendesk. Let's dive a bit deeper into Striver's business model. Because, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, to what extent can you explain to us Striver's business model? How does Striver make money? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can get into the, the detail. Uh, we're an enterprise software. So the enterprise software platform that our uh, engineering product data scientists have built is uh, the secret sauce, what gives us, the, provides us the most long-term value. Um, as part of that, to, to power the enterprise uh, software platform, we also need a hardware element and we also need the content element. So our three areas of, of the, the business model are the, the software platform, the hardware, and the services that enable that, that content. So we're really an end-to-end platform. The goal for us today is that a customer receives a box from us, they open it, and they can begin training immediately with like seamlessly. Um, in 10 years, That'll be way different because the hardware will develop, be, be much more developed. There'll be much more content out there. There'll be, it'll just be a different platform. So today we do from the end to end solution um, and we have revenue from all different, all different from the SaaS platform to the hardware platform to the, the services platform. Right. And so I'm picturing, relatively speaking, quite a range as well in terms of the size of uh, deals that you're setting up as well. Everything from relatively straightforward SaaS that might be, uh, as you said, like great for the company, but smaller size to the bespoke ones that we talked about where you're creating content from scratch. And that's going to be a a large ticket item. 
Yeah, there's there's no question that if you're uh, developing a bespoke piece of content, it's a it's a bit more a bit more expensive than something that's off the shelf. But the the, the reality is that the services side of our business and the hardware side of our business is actually kind of pales in comparison to the to the SaaS platform, and that's really the value driver. So content is absolutely necessary, and hardware is absolutely necessary. Um, but the customers are getting the most value out of that the SaaS platform that gives them the the data, the insights, the knowledge of their workforce, and how they can better create content and better train their workforce that results ultimately in a more effective workforce that impacts these huge companies' bottom lines. Um, so the SaaS platform is first by far and above the the most impactful, important thing that our customers um, find value in. And uh, I was going to ask you as well, it, it, I, in my, my assumption had been that everything was a bit more bespoke and it was a bit more one-to-one. And so I was going to ask you very specifically, how do you scale with a model like that? But actually you have various business models and something like a SaaS platform scales very easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the easy example to how do we scale, we can just point to our our work with Walmart, which is widely publicized. Um, we and it's a it's a great example of how we engage with engage with customers. And that's mm-hmm. back in 2016 or 2017, we started working with Walmart and we started very small, right? We have to it's a new technology most of the companies that we work with haven't utilized any immersive technology or done any immersive training in the past. So we don't want to throw, but we don't want to boil the ocean. We don't want to throw too much at them because it'll be too much to handle. So we start fairly small. So we started with a small pilot program. And then through that program, we developed content, we developed training, we worked through how, how to partner, how to best partner together. And that ultimately leaded to us uh, deploying our product to every one of their 5,000 stores in the U.S. So there's about they have about 20,000 headsets um, out there, and every one of their associates goes through the training uh, fairly consistently. Given that it's 2020, I sort of have to ask everybody how things are going in the current climate. Um, has COVID been a good, bad, neutral um, influence on the business? Yeah, it's been fairly neutral. I'd say it, it depends on the customer. Um, I think every company, no matter, no matter who, every company has had to adapt to some, to some level. Uh, so in in our case, a lot of customers paused, right? Because everybody, everybody is, there's so many unknowns. People just pause what we're there, what they're doing. We, we also pause, we pause what we're doing because we had to take, take inventory of what was going on in the world and, uh, and reevaluate. So there's there's no question a period of pausing and how do we respond to the to the current climate, and at the same time, as a workforce, I mean I, we haven't talked a lot about this, but as a as a finance leader or CFO, so much in in from my perspective what, of what uh, what you're actually dealing with now is the people element of your business. People are your most uh, most valuable asset. 90% of our expenses are on our employees and taking care of our employees through benefits, through other programs, through, through everything that you can, you can think of. And so we first and foremost really had to make sure that our employees were taken care of. They felt safe. They had what they needed to do their jobs at home. So outside of any revenue that we were doing or work we were doing with our customers, we, we looked inward at, at the beginning and I had to say like, how can we make sure that our, our employees are set up for success in their current role, given the current environment and the, the adaption um, or the, the, what they're going to have to do and working from home. Um, so there was, a, there's been a lot of time for me and for the rest of our leadership team and, and how to, how to respond and make sure that our, that our employees are, are in a good enough spot so we can continue to move the needle on our product. And and other than that, in that period, I'm guessing a lot of reforecasting, forecasting and reforecasting from the finance team. There's yeah, so there's no question. We uh, the timing was very fortuitous for us. We closed our, our Series B in February of 2020, 
six weeks later, we were all working from home. So we had an influx of capital at a very good time. And we, of course, had a plan what's how to utilize that capital. And we tore the plan up. We tore the plan up and actually went to a and are still on a month to month or quarter to quarter plan. Um, and all the I've had a lot of discussions with other CFOs, um, other finance leaders. And what I'm hearing is most people are going through the same thing. It's you, you can do a one year plan. You can do a six month plan. But the reality is that's that's not really going to do a lot for you. You're going to have to reevaluate fairly consistently. So we are we reforecast the business on a monthly basis at this point. Right. I th- and I think that's monthly or as you said, quarterly is everybody that we talk to is in a similar position. Exactly. Yeah. As you said. Yeah. Well, let's talk about let's talk about that Series B. Um, yeah. It was $30 million. Is that right? In yep. March? $30 million in March. Yep. Uh, tell us about the process. Uh, fantastic. It's, fundraising is such an educational um, experience to go through both about what do some of the smartest people in the world think about? How do, what do they ask you? And I mean, you'll go into meetings excited and think you know everything about your business and you'll come out with your head down saying, oh my gosh, what did I just go through? I just felt like I got talked in circles. I don't have answers to these questions, but it allows you to understand your business better. And it it allows you to think more critically about things that really investors care about. Um, So it's exhausting because you're taking meeting after meeting and talking about the same things over and over again. But looking back on it, it is, it makes you understand your business at such a deep level that it's, it makes you better in the long run. Um, For us, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was an, it wasn't an extended, it wasn't an extended, an extended thing. It, we knew when we wanted to raise money, we knew how much money we wanted to raise. We knew what we wanted to do with that money. Um, and we, we look for partners. We look for somebody, uh, uh, board members or, or investors who are really going to add value to our company. And the group we ended up finding was a really good fit for us because they are very focused on data. Um, and we haven't, again, haven't talked a lot about data, but, um, the, we are collect, we have the deepest collection and database of immersive performance data that's out there, given how many headsets are in the, are, are out there for us and what we can do with that data in terms of allowing people to better train and better perform is really, uh, what the future is, where the future value is for us. And they were a great partner because they have a rich data background and a data, a data team that can help, help us reach some of those goals. Did you go into that with, um, I'm always fascinated to know about the strategy that people take into this. Cause I, we've heard all sorts of things through our meetups, our CFO connect events, uh, from, people who carefully structured what order they spoke to specific investors in to make sure that they didn't speak to the best one first, but also not last when they were, when they'd used all their good material or whatever. Um, Did you go about it that way or was it a bit more, you know, just explore, see how it goes and, and learn as you go? It was, so, I mean, it was our series B. So we'd had a number of conversations through our seed and our A and, we really tapped back into that network and we started with, and we found it to be very effective where we started with, an, before taking a meeting, there's two or three things that we want to just like lay out for an investor and saying, here are three things about us that you need to be on board with. If not, if you're not on board with these three, two or three things, like it's probably not going to be a good fit. Um, and just to kind of weed out some of the people that may be a little more hesitant, we want somebody who's bought into the technology that's bought into us and bought into, um, you know, we're, we're not a, um, we're, we're not an overnight going to be uh, an Instagram or any of these others that are just like 
churn churn really quickly. There's a long way to go in this in this uh, field of immersive immersive learning, and we're we're the we're the first company that really had some success in it. And now we're seeing all these follow along companies kind of start up, which is fantastic because it like adds to that competitive fire and it kind of raises the raises the tide. Um, but we wanted somebody who was going to be know that we're creating this category. We are doing something brand new and we wanted them to be on the, on a, on a ride with us. Um, so that was really effective to say, like, we're going to send out emails. We're going to send all of our information, give the profile of the company. And here are three things that we want people to be on board with. Um, and if you are like, let's talk. Um, and that ended up being really, really good fit for us. It's sort of like um, a Tinder profile page before going on a first date. <laughs> I don't have a lot of experience with the Tinder profile pages, but but that sounds yes, that sounds about right. Actually, I don't either, but um, I, I have friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you also this year acquired a company, Observer Analytics. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the? Was that sort of part of the reason for the Series B? Was it a, a, attached at all, or totally totally detached? So not 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 at all related. We acquired um, Observer. It was it was really it was it was really a uh, acquisition of the people that were running Observer Analytics. We we meet with all types of immersive VR AR types of of companies, and we just want to see what like just to talk about the technology and what they're doing. And in many cases, that leads to what we call an acquire. And so they had a really good group of team that was really focused on data and analytics. Um, and we're looking to kind of blend our resources. And that's that's how that uh, came to fruition. We'd met them back uh, early last year and had a lot of great dialogues, really met, uh, got along with the team and could incorporate some of their technology into what we're doing and, uh, and it went from there. But as someone who must be heavily involved in that acquisition process, is that a process you enjoy? Yeah, it's it's. I enjoy it because it adds tons of value to the company very quickly. Um, it, the there's the legal back end. There's the details uh, that you have to work through to make sure that everything is, is all the all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Um, that I have a big a team of people that also help me with. So by no means am I the one sitting here doing all the work. I'm just leading. I'm just kind of leading through the and asking lots of questions to make sure that's the right thing for the business. Um, but anything that adds value to the company, uh, that's my responsibility. And maximizing shareholder shareholder value is is uh, one of my my main my main uh, objective. And that does it. And so I'm I'm willing and able to do any of that. Great. Well, let's talk more about that team. Uh, I'm I'm interested to know what the finance function overall looks like at Striver. We are a uh, fearsome group of three on the finance function. Uh, and then we have a fairly uh, robust accounting function. And the, 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 the reality for me is finance isn't valuable unless you have good data. And by good data, I mean a really, a really good accounting function. And given the various elements of our business, like we have a hardware element of our business, we have a services element of our business, and we have the software element, that creates lots more complexities with the accounting function in terms of booking inventory um, and all the fixed assets. And like, there's just so many moving pieces that having a good accounting function, um, having a good accounting function really allows the finance group to slice and dice the numbers and create the insights that the business is is looking for, um, and understanding all the nuances of the new rev the rev rec the ASC six hundred six is really important these days with uh, the rev re- revenue recognition rules that are being adopted. Um, and again, you can't do a lot of the slicing and dicing without a good accounting function. So, um, our, our once our accounting team does all the slicing and dicing, our finance team is responsible for reforecasting the business and providing the insights, the business intelligence that allows um, the, all the other organizations to most effectively run their business. Well, what, what sort of business insights are we talking about? Um, yeah. So, what, what are the, what are yeah. the FP&A bringing? Uh, so the, we're right now focused on setting the foundation of 
of metrics and benchmarks. So you can start very basic. You can talk about customer acquisition costs. You can talk about lifetime value of the customer, of the, of the, of the account. Um, you can talk, there's so many metrics that you can just kind of go online to a lot of the SaaS, SaaS platforms and understand what are best practices. So the finance function focuses on, you know, first, first of all, like what are, what are the benchmarks that are most applicable to our business? And then let's make sure that we're tracking those effectively and uh, bubbling those up. So the business knows that, hey, we are, our gross margins are X when they should be Y or our LTV to CAC ratio is again, X and should be Y. So where are we, let's make sure we're trending in the right direction and we have the data to, to back that up so we can move the needle in areas that we think are, are most impactful. And where do you personally spend your time? in in this whole function so my most of my time is spent um you know on alignment with the rest of the executive team so we uh we're really only as good as we manage our people and so if i'm rowing the boat in one direction and our sales leader is rowing the boat in another direction we're not gonna we're not gonna get very far so we spend, as our executive team spends a good amount of time together on setting priorities, on um, making sure that we're aligned and and rowing the boat in the same direction. So then each leader can go off and communicate that to their individual teams, so that our teams are then rowing the boat in the same direction. So I think that is the most important thing that that I do and that we are our leaders do is make sure that we're aligned and then being a good manager to our employees. Uh, I look at myself as, you know, a, a roadblock remover. So if there's ever any roadblocks for my team, I want to remove roadblocks and then a path creator. So if there's no, maybe there's no roadblocks, but there's maybe no path, let's create a path and make sure that we are headed in the same direction. Because there's a lot happening all the time with with every company, and so you're only as good as the people that that are really doing the work on the ground floor. And my job, and I, the rest of our executive team's job, is to make sure that we're setting our employees up up for success. And just to go back to fundraising quickly, what was the division of labor like um, between you and I guess the rest of the executive in that process? Yeah, so our CEO runs it. He does, he's, he does a great job and he's the founder. So his story is, um, is really kind of the foundation of what uh, uh, an investor will, will look for. And they're looking for great leadership and they look to that person, the, that person first. My role is talking to the numbers, uh, talking to the numbers, talking to the foundation of the company, talking to the operational elements that we use, um, the forecasting, the historicals. When they do diligence on our financials, I'll talk through, I'll talk them through all that. And then um, other, other parts of our uh, executive team come to play when we're talking to, if the, the investors interested in go to market, we'll bring in our sales leader. Um, with our recent round, the investor was very interested in our, in our data platform and our technology. So our CTO and our, our chief product officer were, were heavily involved in some of those discussions. Um, but my role is 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 really first and foremost talking to talking to the numbers and being a partner to our CEO on on what's the story that we're telling to uh, what's the story that we're telling to make us uh, um, interested investors are are excited about what we're doing. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. To me, uh, CFO function isn't a necessarily a finance. It is a finance function, but that's not the primary focus. You're a business. You're a business leader, and you you're the you're the expert in the how the impact of the rest of the organization impacts the financials. 
So your job is really to understand the business and what does a change in your marketing budget do to, or your marketing initiative do to your finances? What does a change in adding 10 engineers to your, to your team do to your financials? So you really have to understand the different parts of the business. Um, and I, I said it earlier, but it's a, we're, it's a people, people are the most important thing that, that we do. And that's part of the reason that our, we're so uh, excited about our technology is that if we can just make a positive impact on, on the training of 1% of the workforce or a 0.1% of the workforce, that is massive, massive inf- change to the, to the, to the world. Um, given the scale of the workforce and what people, what people do. So the, the back to my, the CFO is really a business leader and needing to understand not just finance. Like, I don't think you have to, to, to study finance, to be a, a CFO. I think you have to understand and be curious about what what does what does something over on the engineering or product org or sales org how does that impact something on the other side so just asking questions being curious um is what i think of what the future of cfos really look like not the not the accounting background not the finance traditional background well that's excellent we actually have just i don't know if you've seen but we made a book called how to make it as a startup cfo mm-hmm. and that was basically the whole first chapter was different people's perspectives on exactly that idea, whether a finance person is really a numbers person, whether they're more of a, just an entrepreneur in general and, and, you know, and willing to focus more financially. Um, So that's really great to have your input. I actually, I did want to ask you one other question, which is um, Striver was in a list I saw of Inc. Magazine's best workplaces. What makes Striver a great workplace? It's a great question. It's something that we're super, super proud of. We, um, we focus a lot on our our workforce and the people and getting feedback from people. I think what makes us um, a great workforce is trust and trans. I guess two things: trust and transparency. We trust our employees. Like we go through pretty you know rigorous screening to hire people, and once we hire people, we want them to take ownership and take pride in what it is that they're doing. And we trust our people to go do a good job. We don't have a ton of policies. We don't need to tell people exactly how to do their job. We want people to do the job to their best of the ability and have, to have some freedom and flexibility to, to, to do what they want to do. Because those things ultimately you know, lead people to stay at companies uh, and are valuable for us because they can lead to some really good product development. Um, and we're also super transparent. We uh, we hold town hall, company wide town halls every Friday, and people can ask any question they want and can get a, a direct a direct answer from us. So you got to treat people like adults. You got to treat people with respect and trust, um, and having some of that flexibility within the workforce is something that I think our people. I mean, I really enjoy it, and I know that my team really enjoys it. Um, and we, we, we also love the word feedback and we constantly are, um, soliciting feedback from our teams and are do quarterly surveys where our workforce really has a voice in how we run the company. We're all equity holders in the company. And so the, the, success of the company is a success for, for every single employee. Uh, and so we want to know what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what, um, what, where do we need to focus our energy uh, to, to move the needle and make progress? There's always going to be things you can do better. And the day that you stop thinking that is probably the day that you start failing. Uh, and we want to know that, you know, our executive team, they don't have all the answers. We don't, we don't, we don't know what to do in all, every situation. So, we want to get feedback and different perspectives on how um, how we how people think we should operate and what we should do, and I think people end up really enjoying that, and that's what leads to some of those um, <clears throat> some of those honors of being being called a, a really good workplace. 
And last one before we get to the the quick fire questions, how do the how do your teams use Striver? Great question. We um, we do a lot of it with um, the soft skills training. Um, that's the managerial training because today we are uh, we're we're a knowledge we're knowledge workers at Striver. Lots of engineers and salespeople and product managers, and so the task oriented how to inspect an engine or how to stock a shelf doesn't apply to our workforce. But the managerial training, difficult conversations, feedback discussions uh, is how we, we call it eat our own dog food and really test, uh, test on, on the, using those platforms. For sure. All right. Quick fire questions. As I uh, mentioned before, these can be one word answers. They can be as long as you want. Um, so it's really up to you. The first one, what is one finance tool you couldn't live without? This one's easy. Microsoft Excel. Uh, okay, next question. If there was one part of your day-to-day that you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? So I, I read the question that you sent ahead, and I, I this is the one that I, I don't know of my day-to-day. Maybe it's ordering lunch. I, I feel like it's, it's a funny... Now that we're work from home and I don't have the, I don't have lunch at my desk, I you know um, going out to lunch or ordering lunch in, and I I sit at my I sit on my phone and I order DoorDash or I order Postmates, and sometimes I don't know what to order. So I wish that I could automate somebody figuring out what I want to eat for lunch and for dinner every day, and it could just show up when I when I wanted to show up, and I didn't have to spend the time the time doing it. It's funny when I wrote that question, I was thinking that over time we would get lots of responses about some of the, you know, the more mundane uh, cliched aspects of finance, you know, I don't know, checking spreadsheets or, or data entry or something like that. But what we're getting is checking emails. And then as you just said, ordering lunch. And I think that's actually, um, that's almost optimistic that it's not those core Mm -hmm. responsibilities that people actually really do enjoy their core responsibilities in the roles. The, e- the, the email, the email checking one is interesting. I, um, when the pandemic started, I started and all the gyms closed, I started going on lots of walks. So I go on, you know, walks every, every morning and it's, it's great education time because I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to eBooks. I can do all that kind of stuff. So it's been fantastic in terms of personal education. Um, the one thing that I would love to be able to do, and I mentioned this to a couple colleagues of mine, is can there be a software that, like you said, checks my email, reads my email to me, and then I can, you know, r- record a record a response and send. And there's probably something out there that I haven't found, but that's one thing that I, I probably need to look into a little bit more. Yeah, I bet there is. I bet there is, and it's only a matter of time before it. Well, before Google buys it, frankly, yeah. and then we all have it as part of Gmail. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Continuously educate yourself. You know, I think don't get don't get stagnant. Um, there's the world is changing all the time. Businesses change all the time. You've got to personally evolve with the with the world and seek out advice of others. Nobody knows everything. There's hundreds of different perspectives to different problems. There's oftentimes many different solutions to the same problem. Um, and so constantly seeking advice and seeking to learn from other people and other, um, you know, others is, is something that was a theme of mine through college and, and, you know, kind of early days of my career that has uh, really, I found to be valuable and pertinent to to the workforce and life in general. Mm, And perhaps connected to this, uh, which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? So it's a great question. I've got a number of people that I have met throughout the years. There's a consulting, a consultant that I connected with and worked with for a few years who I just, the people I trust right? There's people that I get along with. I trust they have a different perspective um, than I do. I I seek out people who don't have a similar background than I do because a diversity of perspective I find very valuable. Um, So there's a a few people that have been in my network 
that I can, I, you know, have lunch with or coffee with, you know, pre pandemic every six months, every year. Um, and then there's some people I worked with, you know, at the 49ers that I, I found to be, have a really good balance of the IQ and the EQ in terms of they're really smart people. They're really diligent workers, but they also have an emotional intelligence about them that allows them to get a lot out of people. And so um, those are people that I've continued to talk to and network with. And that goes beyond the CFO side of things. That just goes into the life and life and uh, world and work side of things. Like, how would you approach this um, situation? Just catching up with people. Um, so it's a, it changes, it evolves. Uh, but I have a, a group of people that I stay connected to um, to get advice from. And speaking of connecting with um, finance leaders, what made you join CFO Connect? I, like I said, the day you stop learning and the day you stop seeking out other perspectives is not probably a, a good day. So being able to connect with with uh, other finance leaders around the world specifically, I was fascinated by the Slack, um, the Slack where there's people in every single country that are having conversations. And I think just being able to broaden that um, broaden that perspective and be able to connect with other people that are dealing with similar challenges is a way that you can learn and hopefully also provide value if, if other people have questions and want to seek out, seek out perspectives. That's what we like to hear. Mike Libby, thank you for joining us on CFO Year. Thank you so much for having me. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Find the show on Apple or Spotify or at cfoconnect.eu. Please remember to subscribe and share, and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Join CFO Connect for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for experienced finance professionals. Just visit cfoconnect.eu. That's cfoconnect.eu.